Hey, what's up, Isla del Sur and all of Indian country out there listening? You're listening to the Daily Cornmill on KUEH Gue 101.5 FM. It is the end of March right now, and I have a very special guest with me today from the Pueblo of Jemez, former county commissioner Daryl Madalena. How are you doing, Daryl? Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning, and um, thank you for joining us here on this podcast. We've got Daryl on because um, we're going to be talking about um, some things going on in Indian country um, today. Uh, and um, Daryl has experience from from his time as a county commissioner for Sandoval County. You want to talk a little bit about your um, experience as a county commissioner, um, Daryl, like when you got elected, how long you served for, and, and just some milestones you had there? Sure, Chris. Thank you for having me on, and good morning, everybody down in the Zelo del Sur. Um, it's always been a pleasure to visit your Pueblo. The first time I was down there was in 1995. I was in summer school at New Mexico State, and the American Indian Program brought us down. We got to visit the, the old, old casino. <laughs> Not the brand new one, the old version. So coming home, to me, still is Zelo del Sur, you know, talking to the Apodaca, Ray, you know, Pixie, you know, so it's always wonderful coming down here to Pueblo. Um, Chris, like you said, you know, I was elected in 2008 as the youngest county commissioner. I was 25 years old when I filed my papers, won the election at uh, 26. Um, actually, it was a fairly hotly contested um, primary. I went up against former governor of Zia Pueblo, uh, Stanley Pino, who was also the former chairman of the All Indian Public Council, former commissioner R.W. Johnson, uh, the council delegate, I believe at the time, Watson Castillo from the Navajo Nation, Sodion chapter, uh, the mayor of Cochiti Lake, Ken Keesling, so very highly contested, you know, very prominent people. And to come out of that primary was a blessing, you know, and uh, winning the election at 26 and serving chairman uh, six of my eight years, you know, was an honor. Um, you know, New Mexico having 33 counties, 10 of them have Native American communities, but only San Juan, um, Sandoval, Cibola, and McKinley County have Native American commissioners. So to be in that very, you know, highly contested commission seat, to be only one of four or five Native Americans in New Mexico to be a commissioner, you know, that's something to be spoken of. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And you, you followed in your father's footsteps. You, you mentioned that pre, pre, um, prior to um, you being elected the youngest, he was the youngest elective there in Sandoval County as, as a commissioner. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, my father, um, James Roger Magdalena Sr., uh, in 1978, uh, took over for... Uh, our first ever Native American County Commissioner, who was also from Hamas, uh, by the name of Augustine Sandal. So, following in great footsteps, you know, my father in 78 served up to about 1980. In fact, my father brought Intel into New Mexico as a county chair with uh, two other fellow commissioners. So, when they say the city of Rancho, the city of Vision, Sandoval County had that vision, brought in Intel. So, when locals say, oh, Pat DiArco and these people put Rio Rancho on the map, um, I beg to differ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got the proof otherwise, right? <laughs> exactly.
Yeah, yeah. Well, well, uh, um, great to see. Um, I, I guess just na native people, um, you know, growing in 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 um, national elections and 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 seeking public office. And um, it, it's a weird time because there, there there seems to be a lot of victories right now. Um, as far as native candidates go, but then um, it, it still seems to be lagging. Um, one of the articles that I sent you earlier was about a young lady in San Antonio who, um, and we'll talk about that more in depth. But one of the things that struck me there is that um, in the last election cycle, uh. Only 117 Native Americans um, ran for any type of election in um, um, 2020. Um, how do you feel about that? You know, again, you know, uh, especially in states like uh, New Mexico, you know, we're very granted the right to vote Native American-wise in 46, 47, Arizona in 1948, 49. So it is still very brand new to us election-wise. Um, for example, the Pueblo of Jemez, we still grab or elect or grab, have our officials appointed by our society leaders, by our spiritual leaders. So the thought of voting is still fairly brand new. And a lot of the times, even when I was growing up in the 1980s, uh, you know, my father served in the New Mexico legislature over 30 plus years. And just to try to talk to my cousins, my peers to say, have your parents vote. And one of the first questions that come out, well, why should they? Why does it matter? Does my vote even count? And to this day, you still get that uh, question. When I was running for office, well, if I elect you, where does my vote go? What does the county commissioner do? So those are still you know, very quick, prominent questions that sometimes a candidate may not know how to answer. Or just that natives, it's so brand new to us that we still can't grasp the concept of, well, why does my vote count? Yeah, no, I hear you. And then you, you said something very interesting there about your your pueblo and um, um, just um, not not having elections. But of course, every every pueblo, every tribe um does things uh, differently. But I wonder if that lack of um national uh, um just Native Americans running for public office has to do with the fact that um we're um just more concerned about our own offices here lo locally with the tribe, and um so that kind of um. That the the people that that have those kind of political aspirations tend to go into tribal government. Do you feel like like that might have something to do with some of the lack? Uh, I, I, some of it does, and again, you know, the unfortunate side is sometimes the tribe, tribal governments, and those uh, that are in office still have that good old boy mentality. Well, if I vote for you, what's in it for me? Yeah, I, I I I hear you. So um, I'm and now that I think about that article that that you know, I had been studying earlier before the phone call, um, I I they they mentioned 117 running for office, but I mean that's definitely not including tribal governments because there's uh 560 plus just here and and they're not considering those public offices. So it's actually got to be like in the thousands then, you know. No, it has to be. If you look at, you know, the 577 federally recognized tribes, including, what, 300-plus other state-recognized tribes, you're looking probably about tens of thousands of natives running for office. But as you said, since we're not still considered a prime-time, you know, role, uh, sometimes our candidacies, even within our own tribal offices, get overlooked. Yeah, and and that's unfortunate because um I mean um the office of cacique in my pueblo for example is older than the office of the president of the United States. So uh, yeah. and and it doesn't um I, I guess here on the pueblo I mean it commands a lot of respect and uh, as it should but um just 
um, I think on a national level or a state level, um, they don't always um, see themselves as equal to tribal le um, leaders. Uh, um, those kind of Congress people and, and people at the federal level um, sometimes tend to look down on tribal governments. Oh, yeah, then they little do they forget, you know, the United States is a little over 200 plus something years old. While uh, those of us, you know, we've been here at time immemorial before even this was considered North America. You know, we have our own ways and our own languages, you know, what we have our big cultural points, you know. There's actually a traditional name in Hamath for Mount Rainier. We have traditional names of white sands of the Oregon Mountains, you know. So a lot of are very you know, misguided as well as very ignorant and sometimes just downright, you know, they don't want to learn. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. So so what do you think as Native American people um we have to do to break through in some of those um congressional uh races and um state races? Uh, um, you know, I, I know voter turnout is one you mentioned. What else do you think that we need to do to get some quality native candidates out there? You know, again, you know, people have to be educated, you know, growing up, you know, and education was kind of looked down upon, you know, um, whether it be my cousins or, you know, other relatives, you know, when my father was preaching school and books and reading, you know, then the negative connotation to that as a man was, you're not a real man because you're not working with your hands. You're not outside breaking your back and sweating. You know, only women stay inside. Only women read. And it was looked down upon that, you know, you're not considered a real man. So a lot of it was the negative connotation of having the education. But when the tables turned to where, you know, automation, you know, technology has taken over, you know, the person breaking their back, you know, working 19, 20 hours a day outside, it kind of came of a thing of the past. And now you have to be educated. And now those people hey, uh, Daryl, help me with my resume, or what's a cover letter, or can you help my daughter and write her a letter of support, or could you teach me how to do this and work on a computer or typing? So, you know, to put those connotations back to say in education to have that diploma is worth it now, whether it be just your GED or high school, at least you've accomplished and gained something. Because a lot of the things that sometimes is missed is the basics of what a government is, civics. Civics classes aren't being taught because, you know, you've seen a lot of states that are tailoring their schools to fit a test, not actually teach the person how to be a person. Oh, yeah. I, I think that's, that's just a, a problem in the mainstream in general is just that everything's um, just based on these, these standardized tests and um, funding formulas and things of that nature. And, and people are, are educating to those those exams that I mean, when you think about the real world and, and what's going to happen when you're educated, um, really what we should be aspiring to is like educating our children to be just all around um, well-rounded people who can um, figure out how to solve problems. I have resources at my disposal. Everybody's walking around with a supercomputer in their pocket nowadays. So, um, you know, the fact that we're, we're still educating on these standardized tests is just, it, it, it it's, it's backward in, in thinking and, and um, it doesn't, it tends to lack real world application, I think, in, in my opinion. You know, unless you're an engineer or, you know, you're some type of in construction, you know, there's only so much you use in putting in algebra. 
Yeah, exactly. And I love math. You know, I'm a math nerd. You know, I can look at my daughter's algebra book and come up with the quadratic formula in two steps. But you know, like you said, you know, a lot of the real world applications they don't really exist. Or the fact is, like you said, you know, schools are tailoring to teach a test, not actual real world application. Yeah, absolutely. So um, tell me a little bit about like um, when you were sworn in as a county commissioner, did you ever feel like discriminated from any of the other commissioners or were you ever treated differently because you were a native? You know, being, you know, growing up in Santa Fe, 30 plus years, you know, you have, you know, Governor Bruce King, you know, he was a friend to everybody. He had, you know, Muslim friends, he had seats on his staff working in the offices. You had, you know, the Hispanics, you had, you know, African Americans. And I guess growing up in that type of environment, I didn't know or see what discrimination or racism was. Because to me, everyone seemed like they're one of me. I'm one of them. Not until I went off to college in Iowa is when I saw the racism. Yeah, and what was that like? Um, like how how did that shock you or affect you or what what still stays with you from from that time that experience um you know when i finally had a car so you know driving from hamas all the way to sioux city iowa is about a 16 17 hour drive and back in the day when we were strong i could do that non-stop <laughs> you know so when i'd be gassing up in the middle of nebraska you know to have you know, two cashiers writing down what I'm wearing, what vehicle I'm driving, writing down my license plate, you know, watching me aisle to aisle grab snacks to make sure I'm not stealing anything. That is a bit of an eye opener, you know, because I've never seen that. I've never felt that, you know, yes, growing up in or going to school in the city, in Sioux City, you know, you felt the Midwest hospitality. There's a reason why it's called the heartland, you know. You know, people were open to you, you know, they would help you out in tough times, but to be in the middle of nowhere and have people write down what you're wearing, what you're buying, you know, how you're paying for it, you know, it's, it's a bit of an eye-opener. Yeah, yeah, that uh, definitely. I, I, I can um, um, only imagine how how that that would feel. And and then you're in the middle of nowhere, so it's not like you 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 call the police. It's it's going to be those kind of police that show up probably um, to deal with that if if you're being discriminated against or harassed or for for whatever. So they're they're probably more likely to join in at that point, right? Yeah. So when I became a county commissioner, there was a bit of a little bit of you know discrepancy age wise. And I was 26. The next youngest commissioner to me was, you know, 27 years. So that's a big, big age gap, you know, from 26 to the oldest commissioner at, I believe, 78, I believe, at the time. Yeah, so so do you think there was more of an age um, an age discrimination than um, more um, just native differences? It's more of an age discrimination due to the fact that they think, oh, okay, we have this young kid, we're going to try to mold him the way we should teach him. And when we tell him to jump, he's going to say how high. But, you know, growing up, like I said, 30 years in Santa Fe, going through four governors, watching my dad, watching everyone, you know, you, you learn the game. And when they found out that, oh, oh crap, this, this kid's actually intelligent, he actually has an education. He knows what he's talking about. Yeah, and, and you know, it, it was a slap in the face for them. 
Ab- absolutely, and lo and behold, you become the chair. I was the chairman at uh, 28, and I held it all the way to the end of my term in uh, 2016. So, I mean, it was a really interesting concept. You know, you had a, a very, you know, you had a middle-of-the-road Republican, Commissioner Glenn Walters from the city of Rancho. You had a very, you know, Tea Party-backed commissioner in, you know, Commissioner Chapman. You had a very conservative Democrat in, you know, Commissioner Lucero, who went on to term out we were replaced by Commissioner James Dominguez, and then we had um, owner of uh, Leonard Tire in Albuquerque, uh, Commissioner Donnie Leonard. So you had a very good, you know, aspect and a very good dynamic in the county commission. So we got to see, you know, different points. Um, one of my favorite ones was we had a the Tea Party came in and protest. Just like the Republicans are doing, you know, oh, the elections were rigged, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, it was the state law that made an inconvenience in the city of Rancho on how many polling sites we could have and how much money and stuff was geared to the election. So people waited in line three or four hours to vote and became a tiny commission saying that oh, we rigged it, you know, we suppressed people's votes, yada, yada, yada. It was very interesting to see. Yeah, yeah, and and it's funny how like that that still goes on to this very day, uh, um, you know, just yeah. election laws and 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 things that, um, you know, one side's claiming election integrity, the other side's com- uh, um claiming suppression. So it it it's just madness, and it doesn't seem like we've ever learned from that, have we? In fact, you know, one of the Tea Party members uh, actually got up to the dais and was speaking and saying that you know, and actually told me that you know that I should go back to where I came from. And both my Republican commissioners did the immediate palm face, told him that his time is up, and both commissioners on the Republican side, they didn't even have to do that. Mm-hmm. Turned around and told me, Mr. Chairman, I apologize for that person who does not speak on behalf of the Republican Party, myself, and I understand. I understand, but it's just that ignorance. And again, as you see, you know, the my whiteness should overcome everything else yeah that, that that's so funny though go back to where you came from when you're a native american person uh, you know like yeah, the, 30 miles from my hometown yeah so yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, that that's so hilarious when a native american gets discriminated like that it, it, it's 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 just so blatant it, like it's comically ignorant you know uh, um so let's talk about this bill that just passed in um, Santa Fe. Um, you, you spent a lot of time out there, and it, it looks like the New Mexico se- um, Senate just voted to um, pass an anti-discrimination law on traditional hairstyles and, and head coverings. Of course, um, oh, yeah. a lot of Native Americans wear their hair long. Um, is, is that something that, that might have been a problem in New Mexico? Or, or do you think it was just more of um, them supporting um, just more cultural inclusion and diversity? I think they're more piggybacking off of what other states have been doing and getting um, and backing, you know, all walks of life, you know, whether, you know, someone, uh, a traditional Muslim lady wearing the entire garb or some other, um, you know, head coverings, you know. I think the next is more piggybacking off of it because, as I said, being such a diverse state, you know, to have Native Americans with long hair. I've never seen 
or saw it as an issue of anywhere. So I think New Mexico is kind of piggybacking and in support of other states and what they're passing. Yeah, you go somewhere like Albuquerque, especially. It's not just natives with long hair. It seems like every every man like working at every restaurant over there has long hair. So, I I, I didn't really know there was a problem with it. I know here in in um, West Texas in El Paso, um, and we we've had a couple of cases with our tribe where it like sports teams at the high school like want to force a native kid to cut cut their hair. And, um, you know, the tribe has to get involved at that point. And most of the time, the districts are very supportive. You know, the tribe's been around, you know, longer than they have. So, you know, they are, they're, they're culturally um, inclusive and, you know, they're, they're real open to that. But you, you get like a new, new coach that's hired from East Texas, um, for example. And, you know, they're trying to instill discipline, you know, or the Western um, philosophy of discipline. And, um, you know, they want a clean cut, you know, quote unquote kid playing there so um we, we've just had to um yeah it usually all it takes is like an email from the tribal attorney and that problem is solved um <laughs> ha have any of the people of your pueblo ever experienced anything like that you know i played for a native american prep school in 1997 uh called native american preparatory up near pecos now unfortunately the school closed down due to funding and uh, we played against the uh, catholic school st catherine's indian school which used to be in santa fe and again due to funding issues, closed down. Uh, we were playing up at the Cuba basketball tournament and having several Hamas members at St. Catherine's, including one of my cousins. And we would trash talk each other in Toa. And in fact, the referee actually had to tell us to knock it off because he don't know what he's talking about. Because, you know, as you know, another Hamas person, you know, we're just talking our language. And since the referee was like, you guys need to cut it out. I don't know what you guys are saying. So this has been going on, you know, way prior than us, I have to believe, probably even in the 60s and 70s. But, you know, I, I saw it firsthand, and we just had a good laugh, and we just told the ref, hey, you know, we're from Hamas, you know, he's my cousin. If he's going to run his mouth, I'll run my mouth back. But it's, you know, tasteful. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, like, like just in sports in general is something, especially, like, you get into the Olympic Games and, um, you know, it, some some things like soccer and um, basketball, like they, you know, they're universally played. So there, there's got to be, um, you know, referees that don't understand the language and you know the um that kind of deal. And you kind of just um deal with it. But uh, I mean, I can see like with a couple of um prep school kids speaking to well, that that that's probably reverse intimidating um to the to like this adult referee, you know. Yeah, because, you know, you know, one of my friends is cutting back door. I just turn around and tell my teammates, hey, watch him. He's coming back door. And you hear from the bench, shut up, Daryl. Ruining mm -hmm. <laughs> <Doing> the plays. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah. N native language is definitely something special and unique and uh, and I, I think um, vibrant and living uh, um, as ever. And you, you guys are, are definitely one of the um, most fluent villages that I've, I've seen in Pueblo country for sure. You know, I'm raising my four-year-old son right now. He's learning Toa pretty well. Um, you know, he travels back and forth. One week he'll spend it with his grandparents in Albuquerque. And he learns Hopi Tewa and Navajo in Albuquerque with his grandparents and up here in Hamas he speaks Toa. Yeah, that I mean that that that's awesome. What's what's great to see is like um uh, um, it seems to be more accepted in the mainstream nowadays. Cause uh, I I was at the Democratic convention like maybe six years ago now, 
And um, um, governor from Isla Pueblo gave the opening um, blessing there uh, at that for the entire um, Democratic convention. Oh, so, yeah. governor Eddie Paul Torres. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he was the chairman of the All Indian Pueblo Council, or the Council of Governors, as it's called now, um, at the time. So you know that 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 was pretty cool. Like you know, you're not expecting it. You know, and, and they're like, okay, we're gonna go to the invocation, and you know, there's. Uh, Governor Torres there um, giving it, so it's 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 pretty cool. It's just a, a sense of pride. I mean, especially for us, because uh, um, Isleta, of course, speaks Southern Tea well, like we do. So, um, yeah. you know that 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 was even even cooler to understand it. You know, uh, um, and, and and you know, not not just have it be a novelty, but you know, like like to to be able to understand the words and everything is is just like like amazing. So. You know, uh, Oh, go ahead. Going into the Democratic Convention, you know, one of the articles you sent was Deb Holland, and when Deb Holland was, you know, won the election and took uh, Miss Tiller from Miss Letta to give an opening prayer, it was so disappointing for her to speak and give a prayer in English, knowing that she could speak Tiwa. She could give a prayer in Tiwa to show those Republicans and show the, na the nation, CNN, C-SPAN, and show that us Natives were still prominent, still exist. And for her to just be in her traditional gear and go up and speak in English was so disappointing. Yeah. So a lot of people have told me that, like, did you see uh, Tiller when she was on stage or at the dais, but she only gave a speech or her prayer in English. And a lot of people were very disappointed. Yeah, I, I I can see that because, like, as Native people, we get very few opportunities to, um, you know, just sh showcase... Our, our culture and and everything and and um, when you have one, I think you have to uh, um definitely take advantage of it. Yeah. So so you what know, what what do you think about uh, um Representative Helen now being Secretary Helen there and and working for the Interior? You know, back in when she ran for New Mexico Lieutenant Governor, you know, um it was very surprising when she ran as Lieutenant Governor because I didn't think she had the background for it yet. Yes, she was a Democratic uh, Party chair at the time, and to run for lieutenant governor that quickly, you know, I think hurt her in some aspects because a lot of the tribes out in New Mexico, even in Hamas, you know, she says her mom was from Hamas, and for a lot of people to say, wait a minute, who is she? You know, I think that caught kind of everyone off guard when she ran as lieutenant governor. You know, of course, when we have a very small and very populated, you know, congressional district one, you get to know your people. You get to, they get to see you. And, you know, right time, right place. You know, she caught lightning in the bottle, got elected, and went into Congress. Yeah, and and um, she wasn't there that that long, so you know, obviously, like um, the election of her made made an impact with the Biden administration, so much so that they put her in the Department of the Interior. So, um, in in, in my time working for the Pueblo, I've I've had to do a lot of work with various levels of the Department of the Interior. So it it does um, make sense to have a Native person in in there as as a secretary. Because uh, I, I mean, I remember when um, they had the first White House sun summit under the uh, um. Obama administration and and you had Ken Salazar you know and 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 you could kind of tell you know he's doing his best to try and and understand um what's going on with the native people but he just doesn't get it you know like like completely you know and and, no. and that's not like a um like a backhanded um 
um slide on him or anything it's just that you know like like i think um you know they're just missing a little bit something so hopefully with a native person in there um some of these issues have just been around forever we'll start to see some resolution yeah because one of the yeah when uh ken salazar was in you know he and i had a couple of run-ins during my time as county commissioner you know when we attended the national congress of the american indian you know and he and i uh, got into a heated exchange and i told him you know secretary salazar i saw this speech 2010 in albuquerque you know, it's now 2013, we're here in Tulsa, you're still giving the same speech, you know, what's changed? And he didn't like the, the, the tone of the question, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I hear you. But um, I, I, I remember because, I mean, being part of um, Texas, I mean, things are very different here in Texas. You know, we go up to New oh. Mexico and your your tribes have, have a lot of power. And I don't know if you, I know you, you probably... Um, you know, still see that there's a, a long way to go there, but they're very powerful in their their political influence up there. You know, you you have um um I I remember just going to um Southern Pueblo um council meetings or or um you know A AIPC meetings up there, and you know there were some prominent elected officials that would show up to you know, give give reports. I know Michelle Grisham was there, who's now the governor of of New Mexico. Uh, Bill Richardson at an NCAAI was um um had of course he was campaigning for president at the time, you know. So uh, um you know he's candidate Richardson at that point, but you know he he went to go speak to the pueblo governors and um just that strength in numbers that you guys have. I I, I wonder if it's it, it's taken. A little bit for granted, because like over here in Texas, we're we're on an island. We're on an absolute island, and um, it, it it's taken us years to build up congressional relationships, you know, and and even to get like a new um congressperson to visit the pueblo is just is just something hard. And and um, there's two other tribes here, and and we couldn't be more culturally different from one another. Um, so that 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 you know unity that the pueblo has, I think it does benefit you to to some degree. Yeah, and then, you know, looking at, you know, with what um, Secretary of the Interior, you know, I'm going to play a, little bit, play a little bit of devil's advocate, you know, who has been in there for the last 20, 25 plus years helping out the people, the tribe, doing stuff by the book and to be overstepped that quickly. I mean, how does that impact, you know, the workforce in the department? You know, sometimes that, that kind of runs through my mind when Deb Holland got appointed. As I said, you know, if President Biden, since it is his appointment, if he feels that's the right person, you know, we're going to see. Is she the right person or not? You know, it's not enough to know when you're in power. It's enough to know what to do when you're in power. So giving her props, giving her her dues. But now what? What are you going to do, Deb? That's going to be my question. And if you don't like my question, you know, then you know, if you don't like what the people are asking or telling you, maybe it's time to step away because people will hold you accountable. Even in the Philadelphia Sur when, you know, you had Governor Hista or other former governors, you know, previously when I was a county commissioner, even though you were in Texas, you guys still held me accountable to 10 Southern governors through all Indian public council. No, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, and, and, and I mean, it, it, it's great just being part of the Southern Pueblo Council and the AIPC as well, just because, um, you know, it, it's benefited the Pueblo a lot, I, I could say, because we've gotten a, a lot of support uh, um, from the New Mexico congressional delegations because, you know, the AIPC um, 
uh, um just acts on our behalf a lot of the time and they treat us like like we're one of the one of their own you know which we are you know we didn't we didn't draw up <laughs> draw up the texas border the texas new mexico border you know what i mean like that that was kind of just drawn up around us so you know the, the these arbitrary state borders that exist like in between our tribes like like they they might have I, I guess just dismantled that that connection that we had for a while but i mean it it, it it's been back. It's been a rough year with COVID and everything, you know, but um, it, for the most part, you know, it's it's definitely been a, a beneficial um, relationship and, and, and brotherhood that we have with the Pueblos up north. You know, speaking of brotherhood and whatnot, you know, here you have Deb Holland's open congressional seat. And today the New Mexico Democratic Party Central Committee is supposed to make this election. And we have um, Pueblo of Acoma who resides in Albuquerque, representative of the state of New Mexico, Georgine Lewis, trying to vie for that seat, you know, to show her support to put another Native woman in office, you know, would be a great accomplishment. However, you have Pueblo of Sandia, Derek Lente, another state representative, supporting her opponent. Yeah, that, that that's a tough one, it's, for sure. It's, you know, very discouraging when us as Natives, we're supposed to stand together, sit together. You know, like I said, you know, we had Deb Holland in there, and now we want another Native woman, Georgian Lewis, and yet you have, you know, Lente from Sandia now saying, oh, wait a minute, I don't want a Native lady. What's that say about him? You know, what? so for all this whole Native American stand by our people, to help out our Native people, and now for him to backstab one of our own is, you know, very hurtful, very deceitful. And I think that, you know, if this upcoming election in two years, who knows, maybe I may throw my name in my dad's seat. Yeah, I mean, and then th those elections, we were talking about just um, Native people voting and that. That's that's where you need to hold, um, you know, your elected officials accountable right there. That That's their moment of accountability for sure and and you know you got to think about that when you vote and everything you know like what what have they done for for you know just not only for the tribe themselves but like just for native american people because a lot of times we get wrapped up in you know like they're they're a democrat or a republican or whatever and i i like to look at things like issue by issue and like where, where does this candidate stand on that or you know or or what have their actions produced you know and and um you know, have it, has it been beneficial for Native people or not? And, and you know, I vote with that regardless of party or, um, you know, just just name or whatever it is. So, um, yeah, for sure, you know, you, you definitely got to gotta look at things like that and be reminded of, of those kind of things. Yeah, because one of the, uh, several years ago, there was a, a land bill uh, that was introduced that would um, prevent trappings on public land. You know, and he voted for it. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, wait a minute. So someone's precious chihuahua or poodle is more important than our people's way of life and trapping, you know, foxes and other animals for our ways of life, for our traditional dances. How is that more important than someone's poodle who decides to get off the beach? Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, I, I definitely hear you there for, for sure. And um, so, uh, um, on on another um I issue that that I had sent to you earlier, um, we we were talking about or, or going to, going to speak about this candidate that's running for I think it was a a, 
a city council seat in San Antonio who's uh, claiming to be Mescalero Apache from her, her root. Her, um, she has roots in Mescalero Apache. Her name's Mary Crab. And um, the Mescalero Apache is coming out saying that, you know, they, she she's not on the rolls. She doesn't have any ties to us, but um, she's still trying to tie this indigenous identity to her council race. Well, how do you feel about that? You know, I know, you know, there's flip sides to that. You know, we, we see on social media and other, you know, social crusaders that it's the federal government that put the labels on us or either blood quantum or having to show proof that we're native. But yet here we are now. We have a candidate running claiming to be native. How is she going to prove that? You know, how do you tell her that, no, we want to make sure that you're an actual native? Because whatever social stances or issues that you may have claimed to go through, but you've never gone through it. You've never seen a traditional dance. You've never seen how to live in a cultural way of life. And now yet you claim that. So no, you know, someone claimed heinous, you know, and we have um, a person who did go to Congress and I actually asked her in Tola, speak to me in our language. Is it discriminatory? Um, I'm not sure. But if you claim to be someone from a tribe, you better well show that you are from that tribe. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and I, I, I mean, the way I see it, though, is um, Mescaleto themselves is, is um, just renouncing themselves from them. So that, that, that says everything to me right there, you know, when the tribe doesn't, yeah. you know, the tribe itself that you're claiming to be from. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's another thing to say that you have Native American ancestry and maybe you, you just haven't looked into it, you know, and, and, and that's fine or, 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 you know, whatever, you know, it, it's there. We're not going to disregard that. Or anything, but to actually claim a, a tribe, you know, that's federally recognized or even state recognized, and but that tribe like wants nothing to do with you. I think you you get all your answers there. Um, we we had a young lady here run for um state rep a couple of years ago, um Mary Sue Femeth, and um you know the the tribe um it, the tribal government gave gave their endorsement to her, so. Um, you know, right there, um, you know, she's an enrolled member. She's running. Um, she got the tribal endorsement. You know, so that that that's. All, all the information that you need there, I, I, I think, you know, that, that that's the way I, I'd handle it if I was like a Native American seeking, you know, some kind of public office outside of the tribe. Oh, definitely, you know, or let's say I had changed my name, you know, my grandmother, um, you know, her name before she married my grandfather was uh, Waki. So if I went from Daryl Magdalena to, you know, my middle name, uh, Francisco Waukee. You're like, we've never heard about Francisco Waukee from Hamas. Oh, he's the grandson of Genevieve and Frank Mandalena. Okay, we know who that person is now. He changed his name. Okay, we know who he is. That's one another way as a tribal member that you can trace back lineage right away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was talking with one of our tribal officials the other day and I just told him, you know, forever I'm going to be Carmen's grandson. Like no matter what I do in this life, and and you know you're gonna be Alicia's grandson, and and you know, um, and that's how people identify us. Like no matter what you do, you know, like like it's always gonna tie back to that, you know. So, uh, it's kind of cool in a way, though. No, it is. You know, I even tell my daughter at times. You know, when someone asks you what family are you from, you tell them you're. If you say you're Daryl's daughter, they're like Daryl who? And you have to talk about great grandpa Frank. Mm -hmm. which will then say Roger 
and then oh okay you're one of the boys' daughter i got you now i know what family you're from she's like god so an inconvenience but i was like trust me he's like no people will find out what family you're from when you say you know i'm from this this and this family and right away like, oh yeah we know who you are yeah and it's an advantage especially you know and then I told her, if you want to run for political aspiration, at some point in time, you want to be the first female Pueblo County commissioner in Sandoval County history, right away, oh, yeah, your dad was a commissioner, your grandpa was a student. Right? And I think that's one thing that's lost in this current generation is when I'm on social media or Facebook, when I see, oh, you know, Deb Holland, she, you know, breaks down the barriers for Native people running. Um, no. What about Senator John Pinto? Co-talker, became a New Mexico State Senator. Brilliant man. My father was the first Pueblo to ever hold a New Mexico State office. Then the real groundbreaker to me, Linda Lovejoy, the Navajo Nation, became the first woman Native to be in the New Mexico House and in the New Mexico Senate. Yeah, it's it's, so it's that's what's lost in this generation to me is you know right away just because it's on social media oh it's the first thing so again as I said I give Deb props for running for office because it's so hard to run for political office and to win but to label her as the first ever of this and this no she's a beneficiary as well as I've been for those who broke ground whether it be Senator John Pinto Commissioner Augustine Sandoz. Linda Lovejoy. Heck, Linda Lovejoy even challenged her people's way of life in a woman running for president of the Navajo Nation. She's the real groundbreaker to me. No, absolutely. And I mean, they they were um, doing their thing in a time where, you know, there was no social media, so they couldn't get that due. And I mean, not... Um yeah, it, it's it's just funny because um, just the way things are now, it's it, like things are forgotten just so fast. You know, like like um, something that makes news is just like yesterday's news, like in an hour now. Yeah, I don't even think you can use that that phrase yesterday's news anymore. It's just like so, um, you know, what's the next thing and what's the next thing and what's the next thing and. You know, people just want to put the labels on it. Like, this is the first Native person to do this or without um, doing any kind of background research or anything like that. It's just to, you know, be first, get the story out there and, and then, um, you know, get that, get those clicks or those likes or whatever it is. And then uh, um, we'll move on to the next one, you know. So, yeah, yeah it's just the way, yeah. way society is, I feel. Yeah, because, uh, you know, when you talk about Deb like that, you know, you now you disrespect Linda Lovejoy, Sandra Jeff. Sharon Costas Chilich, she was the first Republican as a native to win an office. You know, Wallace, Charlie, um, who else do you have there? The first public woman in there, Georgine Lewis. You know, Wanda Johnson, uh, legal watchman senior and junior. Leonard Sosi, Ray B. Gay. So for, and you know, obviously you can't forget my father who in 97 was the only native to help pass the Indian Gaming Compact for the state of New Mexico. So for all these natives to be disrespected just to try to make a headline, it really irritates me. It, it still, you know, it bugs me. Yeah, and I'll even include myself in there, you know, being the youngest Native County Commission chairman ever in the state's history. 
you know, it, it, you know, it, it, it strikes me a nerve. Yeah, well, I mean, well, the good thing is, though, is we have these platforms where you can remind everybody about, you know, that and correct people. And, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with having, you know, just civil discourse over over that. And like you said earlier, it's just an educational process uh, for, for everything, you know, just having to do with our way of lives. You know, um, you know, we're both Pueblos, but but. Um, you know, th things on your Pueblo are a little bit different, you know, and, and, and uh, than, than mine. And, um, you know, we can learn, learn a lot from, from each other's, um, you know, just histories and by sharing and, um, you know, just not, not being so, um, ethnocentric, I guess. Um, how, how are things right now in Hamas with COVID-19 and everything? Where are you guys at? Um, we have a meeting with the governor for those of us checkpoint workers, uh, here coming up pretty soon. And. You know, fortunately, we've had some COVID deaths. You know, one of them was my childhood neighbor's uh, brother. Yeah, that's a lucky guy. Worked on everyone's, you know, fields, whether it be plowing or, uh, you know, leveling the the fields, and he he passed. You know, so sad because, you know, when the fiscales and his group came through with the body. You know, it hurt all of us. You know, it hurt. You know, something that is one of those things that you can't shake because you know how good of a guy he was. And now we have to put him in the ground. And you know, so far I believe we have one or two cases where they live off the pueblo, but they're listed under Hamas because that's what the enrollment comes into. But on the pueblo, zero cases. Oh wow, that, that I mean, that's impressive. Uh, I mean, I mean, just sometimes that isolation that you guys have might work to your benefit. Uh, like our our, our pueblo is a lot more urban, you know. Like our our reservations checkerboarded, so um, people come and go, and and you know they work on and off the pueblo and that. So we had cases in the hundreds, actually. You know, for when we had a really bad spike, especially back in October, we've had um six deaths since since the pandemic um began. So, um, I mean, it's, it's something that's touched us. I, I mean, one death is, 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 is too many, but, you know, have, have six, I, I, and I mean, but the thing I think that's, that's hurt the most, I mean, I mean, not that I'm, um, downplaying the death is just, um, the fact that we've had to like postpone some of our, our tribal ceremonies and, or, or really limit them. Um, you know, um, they're, they're not being held like to where you would want them to be held and with good reason of course but i i mean like like i i think it just really tugs at your soul you know like like when, when you're not able to do do those kind of things you know, that you're accustomed to and they're just part of your life um you know it it, 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 it hits hard i don't know um how, how are your ceremonies are they going on are they canceled you know last year you know i was a tribal official you know my name finally got called after how many years <laughs> And, you know, I was traditionally being under the tribal sheriff, you know, and that's what we had talked about, you know, how odd is it that on August 2nd, we're not doing anything? How weird is it on November 12th that, you know, we're here at checkpoint, you know, making sure that, you know, people have the proper paperwork, you know, if they have a dental appointment, doctor's appointment, go to Albuquerque, you know, how, how odd is it that at Christmas we're not blocking the traffic so the Buffalo dancers can come down the hill? You know, it was, you know, it, it was hard on us, you know, even though we would have loved to have seen it. But then again, you know, for the health and benefit of our people, I guess that's why we were the ones who were appointed last year. 
is to make those tough choices and tough sacrifices yeah, to I, get our people through, through this year. Yeah, what a year to be a tribal official. Like, let me just say that. Like, you know, um, I, I, I can't understand like uh, um the gravity of having to deal with COVID as a tribal official, um, and have everything you know just riding on you, and you're gonna write criticism for canceling events, and and at the same time, this is an ever changing disease, and you don't know, you know, um, how it's gonna affect people. You know, just long term. So, I, I mean, that it, it, that just had to be hard for everybody, like all tribal officials out there, you know, especially, yeah. but just us here in the Pueblos that we're just so traditional, you know, it, 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 like, I think it makes it that much harder. You know, at the checkpoints, we've gotten into verbal altercations, physical altercations. You know, we've been named uncalled by everything under the book. So, you know, last year was a very challenging time. And I was lucky, you know, I ran the checkpoint during the day and in the morning I had two former sheriffs who were with me at checkpoints. So, you know, the authority was really shown and if there were people were still arguing, they just say, you have a tribal official standing right here that will make the decisions for you. And they will back down pretty quick. Oh, it's good. It's good that you guys have that kind of respect and everything up there for, for, you know, those elected positions. Uh, um, you know, th thankfully, he, I think um, people were here were pretty open minded. I didn't hear a whole lot of um, opposition to the checkpoints. I think I think it was just understood that this was for the good of the community. And, um, you know, people complied with them. Uh, there, there were a couple of times where I, I, I blew through a checkpoint just, you know, um, by having my head in the clouds, you know, and being chased down by tribal police. But I'm like, oh, my God, like I was just on autopilot. That ha that personally happened to me twice and, and, and in both villages. I did it once here in in Pakitu and I did it once in the Iikatu. You know, just, um, you know, and, and one time it was like taking my mom groceries or, you know, like, yeah. And, and you know, then the tribal police, they're just trying to do their jobs, you know, and, and keep everybody safe at that time. So. Um, you know, uh, I don't know how you guys are doing with vaccinations, but we've gotten a lot of people vaccinated here. So things are, are looking to trend in the right direction, I think. I think we're still probably like another year off from everything being normal, normal. But I mean, it, it, it's getting better. That's for sure. I think so. And, you know, I feel so bad for the kids that, you know, they're missing out on their peers and their playtime and their learning, especially, you know, the little ones like mine, you know getting ready for school and all of a sudden everything just stops you know older kids you know they're very resilient you know they jump on their computers online learning but kids younger kids need that interaction need that socializing yeah oh that's what's hurt them a lot you know for the for the older kids the one that the the ones that get me are the seniors you know in high school um you know have that abrupt ending last year to their senior year and this one just to, like basically you know your graduation ceremony is not gonna be what you're you're accustomed to and you know there's no prom there's no homecoming there's you know none of those memories that you you have with you for a lifetime and you know some people might say they're overrated but at the time i think they mean a lot to those people and i i just really feel for them because at, at least the little ones they've got years ahead of them you know but man those seniors that 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 just kills me yeah especially you know how would i feel at that time you know i've geared up ran all summer getting ready for my senior of cross country to be told sorry everything's canceled no i understand you know because the heart and dedication it takes to be a student athlete student being the key to to learn to study to have all that just completely 
strength of screeching hope, I can understand and sympathize with them. But at the same time, them, whether, I don't care if your body's 18, your mind may still be at 50, so still as a child, they don't grasp the situation. They're only seeing what you see on TV or their parents are mimicking what's going on, you know, what's going on in South Dakota, you know, people protesting schools, mask mandates, you know, it's hard. It's hard to actually show people what, how big of a damage this coronavirus really is. Yeah, no, for sure, and and I mean, I mean, the, the, these are just two two small communities that we're talking about, like in this, in in the and and something that's going on globally right now. You know, Europe is in lockdown right now as we speak, and and um, it's just something that the uncertainty is going to be with us for for a while, I think. And you know, at, at this time, I think the best thing you could do is just you know stay true to your traditions, even though you don't get to practice them. They're not done in like a certain place. You know, they they they're with you in your heart. So you know what you know, and and you know just stay stay true to that, and and you know that that'll get you through this. That'll get through you and your family through this, and pick up the phone and call those loved ones, and you know reassure them as well. I think that's what you gotta do. Yeah, you know well, the prayers, you know whether it be through cornmeal, corn pollen, you know, eagle turkey feathers, whatever, you know they'll be heard. You know you don't need to go to a church. You don't need to go to uh, you know, or be at a certain location, you know, your prayers will still be heard and answered. And that's what I think the younger generation has to realize and learn too is that, you know, our traditions won't go away. You know, diseases have come and gone. Governments have come and gone. Religions have come and gone to try to kill us, but we're still here. We're still in existence and we're not going to go away ever. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we've gone about an hour, uh, um, Daryl. So we're, we're running out of time. I, I I can't thank you enough for for coming on again, and you know spending this hour with me and just you know um, having a nice conversation about um, you know what 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 we think is going on you know in the world, and uh, um, I I think it's cool you know like like uh, in in the in the future you know we can go back and listen and okay well what were the issues of the time? So it's kind of cool pro process documenting. You know, I, I don't know how you feel. No, it is, you know, you know, 10 years from now, you know, are we going to have the same, you know, thoughts? Are we going to have the same issues? Are we going to have actual answers? Or, you know, are we going to be like Ken Salazar and recycle your seat, you know, every five years? <laughs> yeah, nothing's changed. <laughs> yeah, nothing's I, changed. I, I really hope not. But I, I mean, it'd be interesting if we had podcasts from the Spanish flu or whatever it was, you know, from um, two people, you know, from our pueblos from back then and what it was like. So, I, I, yeah, I, yeah, I just think it's good to keep dialogue and, you know, just to stay in touch with, with um, people that you know and, and um, you know, just have have conversations. All right. Great to catch up, you know, with things to open up, you know, things kind of get back to normal. I'd like to come back down as well, though, sir. Yeah, hopefully everything will normalize where you can come back down to our feast days and everything. And, um, you know, uh, we, we can have these conversations face to face again. You know, many blessings to you guys and, and everybody up in Hamas. And, um, you know, I, I hope everything goes well and congratulate you on your success with um, preventing the spread of COVID and everything so um just th thank you for being a, a a guest here um you're listening to yeah. uh, oh go ahead daryl did you have something that well, i was gonna say you know whatever we're going through you know we're gonna get through this and hopefully things turn back to normal 
Thank you and Kim Wuhi, we'll see you we'll, we'll see you soon. You're listening to the Daily Corn Mill on Gue 101.5 FM. Don't forget that if you missed any part of this episode, you can download it on iTunes, Stitcher, um, Google Play, or on Spotify as well. Or ba- basically just search the Daily Corn Mill if you, you caught this conversation in the middle and you could hear it on demand in all of our other episodes. You're listening to the Daily Corn Mill on KUEH Gue 101.5 FM, Isla del Sur.